0: you're good that you're great that you have been from of old and you are still today that your love has been from everlasting to everlasting and we didn't deserve it not that we do now you showered your love upon us God you chose us every single one of us in this room you chose us God so we praise you because your word says that we didn't choose you you chose us we thank you God for choosing us I thank you God for choosing me thank you God There was nothing in me that you should have chosen, but you looked and you set your love on me and you looked and you set your love on every person in this room. And so we praise you for that right now because you're God. And what is man that you're mindful of him? What is the son of man that you would even give him your attention? We recognize that we don't deserve what you've done, but we praise you because, God, you give it freely and you give it with joy and you give it readily to us. We honor you today, and we ask that you would be glorified in our midst. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for being here with us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We do welcome you here. You come into the room. We honor you. You are our king. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome to church. (laughs) You may be seated. Well, hello. I am so glad to see you all. If this is your first time being here with us, we welcome you. I am not the pastor of this church. As Lead Pastor Lisa mentioned a moment ago, our pastor is in Puerto Rico, where his oldest son is getting married. And that's comforting to me, because see, I've known Luke for 14 years, and we're the same age. I'm six months older, so it's happened for Luke, which means he's on his way. Okay, I don't know where he is or what he's doing, but I can tell you that he's on his way. So I'm gonna say this prophetically. <laughs> I'm next. Someone in the room is like, "Thank you, thank you." Someone in the room is like, "Are you even dating?" No, no. But but he's on his way. Okay, you don't. Go, I don't walk by sight. Okay, I walk by faith. I don't know about y'all in this house. We're Have fun in the house of God. If this is your first time being here with us, we welcome you. As I said before, Pastor John's in Puerto Rico, but he's thinking about you and he loves you and he sent me to you. My name is Brianna. For those of you who have heard me speak before, you are not at all surprised by how happy and how loud I'm being right now. But for those of you who have not heard me speak before, it's a little startling. You will get used to it. Sometimes I cry. Sometimes I jump up and down. I might run around the room. We don't know what God's going to do today, but we have fun anytime that I get to talk to you. So I like participation. I love when you talk back to me. This is not um, a, a dictation. This is a conversation. So we're going to have a conversation today. I'm excited. All right. So if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, last couple of months, honestly, we've been doing a series, Pastor John has been, off of the idea, off of the thought that no man shall be able to withstand you. All the days of your life. This comes from the book of Joshua where God has given this promise, a very powerful promise, to Joshua who shortly after the death of Moses who is to take the place as the leader of Israel. He has watched Moses be a faithful leader over the house of God. The scripture speaks well of Moses. It says that he was faithful in all of God's house. It says that he was the most humble man more than any other man on the face of the earth. That that's tall praise, and y'all, it's in scripture, so that's weighty for it to be for God to speak so well of Moses. So Joshua is proceeding; he's he's about to follow as the leader over Israel. He's got tall shoes to fill, so he's a little intimidated because he's watched Moses perform miracles. He's watched him go up to the mountain and stay there, and then come back down with his face shining. He's watched him strike a, ro- a rock, and out comes water. He's watched dynamic things. And he's about to follow in his footsteps. And so God says to to Joshua, fear not, for I am with, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. And no man will be able to withstand you all the days of your life. A strong promise, a powerful promise. But how much more true is that of you and of I on this side of the cross, those of us who have the Holy Spirit, that as God was with Moses, yes, so would he be with Joshua, but even more so will he be with us. And so to you, God says, no man will be able to withstand you all the days of your life. We could say no thing will be able to withstand you all the days of your life. The book of Romans says it this way. If God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, what Can stand against you, absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing. So we say amen to that, and we praise God for that. That's that's more true of us who have the Holy Spirit, those of us who know God because of what Jesus did on this side of the cross. But even as I'm saying that, some of you are you're hearing a but that doesn't really just resonate on the inside of you. It will, it will here shortly. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Gwen gave a powerful message off of the chapter Psalm 23, one of the most well-known Psalms, the one that begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, on and on and on. And we are going to come full circle. We're going to go to verse 6. Thank you, guys. Can I just say thank you to the, to the media team? Y'all are so precious. I'm grateful for you. Yeah. We recently got a new soundboard and all kinds of new microphones and stuff. And guys, I used to serve in the media team myself and I'm not technical in any capacity so we didn't want me back there anymore but i'm grateful for those of you who are still there they are awesome psalm 23 6, six excuse me says surely or only goodness mercy and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of my life everybody say surely say it again Say, surely that Hebrew word for surely can also be translated to mean exclusively, which is just a fancy word for only. So really this verse could read, we could get rid of surely, and we could just say only goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Only goodness and mercy. Only Goodness and mercy, only the goodness of God will follow me all the days of my life. Only the mercy of God and nothing else will follow me all the days of my life. And even as I'm saying that, here's the deal, we say amen to that. We hear that and we go, yeah, God. We hear God is good and we say God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And we say amen to that. But what we really mean is that God is good as long as my day is going well. God is good when my hair sits right, when my shape, and my figure is together, when I feel good, when I can get out of bed and nothing hurts on me. God is good when my bank account looks right. God is good when we don't have a pandemic raging in the world. God is good when when my family's acting right and my kids have come home and they're doing what they're supposed to do. God is oh, God is good. God is good. God's good when 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 I'm good. But do we really believe? when i wake up in the morning and i'm not feeling too good that that god is still good that his mercy is still following me do we really believe when my husband has walked out on me that god is still good do we really believe when our children are acting up they're not serving god that god is still good do we really believe that in the middle of a pandemic god is still good and his goodness is following me and his mercy is following me do we believe when we got a bad doctor's report, when that person died, when we lost our job, do we really believe that the goodness of God, the mercy of God is still following us? Do we really believe that? Only goodness and mercy will follow me all the day, days of my life. See, here, there, I realize that as I say that, there's someone in this room, and you would say, it does not look like God's goodness is following me. It does not look like God's mercy is following me. My prayers are not being answered. I've got relationship problems that are following me. I've got conflict, it just looks like everywhere I turn, conflict is what's following me. Relationship issues are what are following me. Financial issues are what are following me. I never have enough money to pay the bills. Loneliness is what just seems to follow me. I've never had a good friend in my life the goodness is not following me. You would say, Brianna, it's, it's just easy for you to say. You're standing up there. You're only 28, and you just don't know. Keep living. Some of you would say that. You never say it out loud to me, but you're thinking to yourself, the goodness of God is not following me. The mercy of God is not following me. I want to talk to you today. Whatever may be bothering you, and you it may not even be you. You may be good in the room today, but you know someone who's not. You know someone. All of us are probably praying for someone that we know whose faith is a little weak, who's a little discouraged, and they could use a healthy dose of the mercy of God. So God wants to just pour out his mercy in this place. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 15. You can turn there in your Bibles, and I'll join you there in a moment. But I want you to bring whatever kind of thing that it looks like was following you. That's not God's goodness. That's not God's mercy. Go ahead and bring that to the forefront of your mind. A lot of times we, we shove it to the back of our minds. We don't want to think about it. We really just kind of just let it just be, bring it to the forefront of your mind. And I want you to say two words with me. Say only mercy. Say it again. Only mercy. If I had to entitle the talk that we're having today, that's what I would call it. Only mercy mercy and if you're taking notes go ahead and write down whatever it is that's bothering you whatever it is that's just it's just following you that does not look like the goodness of God go ahead and write it down and then underneath it write those two words only mercy we're going to speak the mercy of God we're going to believe for the mercy of God to be poured out over every situation so we find ourselves in Luke chapter fifteen. I'm so excited, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna have fun. The Bible is fun. A lot of people say that reading scripture is boring. That is just not true. There's so much to be found in scripture that is enjoyable. I remember saying that as a young child to my mom. I was raised. My mom is here with me. I'm so grateful. Can I just tell y'all that anything good in me that you see comes from God and Mama. She's wonderful. I'm grateful for her. But she, she she'd read. We, I was raised in a Christian home, and she'd read, she'd read scriptures uh, to us and make us read scriptures. And both of my parents were in love with the King James Version. I've never understood it. But they love it. And if you do in here, God bless you. But for these and the and the whereby, house, who, for, when, I don't care for that. But that's what we, I was, like, raised on. So at six, that just, it, just, it goes over your head. And I remember saying to my mom, why do we have to read the Bible? Reading the Bible is boring. I remember saying that to her. And then she spanked me. And here I am today. So praise God for getting spanked. I never said it again. And, and, and scripture is fun. So if you're thinking that the Bible is boring, we're going to change that up today, okay? Amen so we're going to find ourselves in verse 11 this is more commonly known as contemporarily known we say this as uh the the story of the prodigal son so what's happening is jesus has been walking along the road and a lot of people start following him he's got a crowd behind him and he makes the most of the time as jesus does and he begins to teach them and so we find him in verse 11 scripture says he also said he being jesus a man had two sons the younger of them said to his father father give me the share of the estate I have coming to me so he distributed the assets to them and not many days later the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living after he had spent everything a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating but no one would give him anything When he came to a census, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in, so his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you have never given me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, prostitutes. You slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because his brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. As I said, we're talking about mercy today and we're going to examine uh, this story more closely and I've got some friends who are going to help me. I'll call them up in a little bit. But I want to give us a working definition of mercy, if we can, so that we can watch the Father, who is representative of God himself, and we can look at how his mercy is demonstrated. When I began to study mercy, um, it was a little bit, it was more difficult than I thought that it would be, because we often hear, you know, Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. His mercy is over all that he has made. There are scriptures about mercy, yet there's no one, one story, I would say, that could Perfectly encompass all that God's mercy is. And as I prayed about that, I kind of sensed the Holy Spirit say to me, that's because my mercy is not meant to be explained. It's meant to be experienced. So we're going to experience the mercy of God today. But I do kind of want to give us a little bit of a working definition. And can I just start by saying, there are not enough words in my vocabulary, in the English vocabulary, to perfectly encompass what God's mercy is. There just are not. It is vast. It is rich. It is mighty. It is high. And it's wide. And it covers so much more than I have the capacity to communicate to you today. But I'm going to do my best. In Lamentations chapter three, twenty-two, and this is one of the most well-known passages on mercy. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning and his faithfulness is great. That Hebrew word for mercies in that passage is can be more accurately translated as womb compassion. Compassion as from the womb. So what it means that they're trying to communicate, it's a female connotation, is the type of compassion that a mother has on her child while the child is in the womb. I have no kids. I've never had any kids. But I have nieces, whom I claim as my own. My oldest one, um, her name is Faith. I got to name her. I'm quite proud of that fact. But my sister is selfish and wouldn't ne- let me name the rest of her kids. I just I don't understand. But with the first one, I remember I was all over Gabby. That's my sister's name, Gabby. She, she could not wait for me to leave. Uh, I was really excited about the baby, and I remember the baby would kick her. And I could feel a little heel kicking her stomach. So I, I tap right back on her stomach. So the baby would kick Gabby and I would tap the baby's foot. We were having a good old time, just a little conversation going. She's kicking and I'm tapping and I, I could just see it. And Gabby's like, can both of y'all move so I can go to sleep? And I'm like, shh, I'm bonding with my baby. How dare you? So I'm watching this baby kick and I can see a little heel print and just having a good old time. But here's the thing. I would never know that that baby was moving if I hadn't seen the evidence but Gabby knew. In the middle of the night when she was trying to sleep, Faith would move around and she'd just be dancing, having a good old time. When Gabby would play certain types of music or she'd eat certain types of food, the baby's just, just in there. She's just living her best life in the room. So that's the kind of sensitivity that we're talking about, that God has on his people, that, are, that he showers on us freshly every morning. The kind of sensitivity and compassion of a mother in the womb. Those of you who have had kids know exactly what I'm talking about. And then there's another more common hebrew word that's used for mercy that can be translated as steadfast love loyalty faithfulness and devotion so so mercy doesn't even really sum it up but what the translators are trying to get us to see is that in his mercy we find his steadfast love his faithfulness his devotion his loyalty and his compassion, his womb compassion—that's how sensitive God is. So those are going to be our working definitions of that. And if we, if I could put it in a concise statement for you, the mercy of God is where God demonstrates His compassion, His love, and His forgiveness to people with whom it is within His power to punish. Let me say that again: God's compassion, love. Or forgiveness and forgiveness that he gives to people with whom it is within his power to punish. That is Everyone under the sound of my voice and everyone on the face of this earth because we did not deserve and we do not deserve anything that God has done for us. We deserved punishment. We deserved death. But he took that upon himself and he demonstrates evermore his compassion, his love, and his forgiveness to us. And it was rightfully within his power to punish us. But he took the punishment away by sending Jesus Christ to take the punishment so that we would not have to. And we evermore are experiencing his mercy. That is the mercy of God. So my friends are going to come now. I'm so excited. Come on, Herbie and Justin and Johnny. We're going to have fun. Like I said, reading scripture is fun. Come on. Come on, gentlemen. Y'all are all taller than me. We can move a little quicker. It's perfect. I didn't even tell him. Okay, so these three gentlemen are going to represent. This is, this is Herbie. This is my friend Hervey, and this is Justin, and this is Johnny. Can we clap for them? They're going to be examples of the story that we just read. So Justin's going to be the father, okay? Justin is the father. He's got a beard like a grown man, so he's going to be, I'm sorry to say, he's going to be the father. And Harvey's going to be the youngest son, the rebellious one, okay? And Johnny is going to be the oldest son. We're going to call Johnny Michael, okay? We're going to call Justin Dad, and we're going to call Harvey Tyrone. That's going to be his name. So, the story goes like this. Tyrone is the life of the party. He likes his women, he likes his drugs, he likes his alcohol. Tyrone is about living his best life. He does not like that he has to follow rules, he doesn't want to do his homework, he wants nothing to do with living a good life. He's got a lot of money, he just wants to know, why can't I spend it? But dad, good old dad here, has worked hard to provide a living for his two sons, and he's got rules. And he's the man of his house, and you're going to do what I say, or you're going to get out. This is dad. He's, he's a strong man, and he's raised strong. Gentlemen, so this is, what did I say your name was? Michael. Thank you. Michael, this is Michael, and Michael is the good son. He's responsible. He does his homework. He makes straight A's. He comes in from curfew. He's never done drugs. He doesn't hang with fast women. He keeps it together. He goes to work. He has a J-O-B. And he does what he's asked to do. This is the good son. This is the son that every woman wants to marry and every man wants to raise. Okay? So we got two sons, total opposite of one another. So one day I like, man, I'm sick of this. I'm not going to work tomorrow. I'm going to go to dad and I'm going to say, you know what I want? I want my money. I want my money. When you die, I know you saved up some money for me, and I want it, and I want it now. And that culture, that would be basically as good as him saying, you're you're dead to me. I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to do what I want to do. So dad says, all right, son, I love you so much. I wish you well. Know that you always have a home with me. I'll be w- waiting for you. You can come back anytime. So Tyrone's like, I ain't never coming back. He gets his money. He goes, and he, immediately he's living his best life. He goes to the club. We'll call the club club night. So he goes to club night. You can tell I've never been to a club. Goes to club night. And he's, he's like, okay, I'm going to find some friends up in here. This is his kind of scene. The party's hopping. The people are, they're excited. The music's loud. The lights are low. He's, it's a, it's a party scene. His kind of life. The kind of place that he's always wanted to be. So Tyrone steps in like, hey, (laughs) drinks on me. Remember the name too for Tyrone. He steps in. Meets all these people, buys them around the drinks, and then he sees a girl, and she's cute. She doesn't have much on, but she's cute. So he walks up and he says, hey. I'm single, you're single, let, you, what you want to do? And she's like, actually, I have to charge you for the night. He finds out she's a prostitute, and he's like, okay, well, I got money, so let's go. So this is Tyrone's M.O. He's free at his dad's house, so he can do whatever he wants to do. The Bible calls it wild, reckless women living. So he gets a uh, different woman every night. Every night he's going from bar to bar, place to place, spending his money. He's, he's living his best life. He's like, this is the best life I've ever lived. Why do you ever stay at dad's house? By known this, I would have taken my money when I was three, and I would have been out. So he's having the the time of his life until a famine hits the land. And he's like, okay, no big deal. Like, sorry for all those people who can't have anything to eat, but I got money. Opens up his wallet, realizes that he does not indeed have in fact have any more money. He has spent it all. So he looks and he's like, Okay, dang, like I guess I gotta go find a new job. So he goes out, he tries to find a job. He he meets a person and gets to working, but it's just really not enough. He's shoveling manure and he's hanging around with pigs. And finally he gets to the bottom of the barrel and he, he has nothing to eat and looks at what the pigs are eating and finds that desirable. So he's in a low place, y'all. A, I mean a low place because I don't know much about pigs. I don't know if you can tell this about me, but I did not do any sort of farm stuff. I'm not the kind of female who enjoys the outdoors all that much. I try. I do try. I was a Girl Scout and tried to make camping seem like fun. I don't find the outdoors fun. I mean, it's just hot and I don't, I don't like it. But so pigs are outside and that's where he is outside with pigs. And he wants to eat with they eating. I don't know much about pigs, but I've been told they'll eat anything living or otherwise. And they play in mud. That's another thing I don't understand. Like mud wrestling, what's the point? You want to go play in dirt. I don't get it. I do not get it. That's what he's looking at, the dirt, and he wants to eat it. So he's in a low place. He's in a low place. So he starts in on his speech. Tyrone starts in on his speech. He says, I'm going to go back to Dad's house. I'm going to say to Dad, Dad. Dad, like I messed up and I get it this time, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Um, um, just, just give me a job, God. D- Dad, give me a job. I, I d- you don't gotta give me anything. Just give me a job. But really, I'm just like God. Please let me eat. So he's working on his speech. He's rehearsing it. He starts home. He comes to his senses finally, and he starts on his way home. And he's working on his speech. He's gotta memorize. I'm gonna say it like this. When I get to the house, I'm gonna fall on my knees. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, Dad, Dad, I know I messed up. I know I did it. And, 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 and Dad's gonna let me have a job. And I don't even gotta be anymore. Like, I don't even really need clothes. I just need to eat. So he's ready. He's got a speech memorized. He's going. And he comes. He makes it to the house. He makes it to the house. But, but dad's been looking. Dad's been watching in his window. So he, he, he picks up his robe. Sorry, Justin, you're wearing a dress. So he picks up his robe, and he starts running. He runs, He runs, and he meets him while he's still a long way off in time. So I was like, oh, I wouldn't even run, but here I go, Dad, I messed up. I'm sorry. I sinned against heaven, and I sinned against you, and I'm no longer ready to be your son. And 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 Dad just embraces him, kisses him, and says, son, son, I don't even care about that. I'm going to get a robe, and I'm going to put it on you. Get a robe. Get the ring. Get the sandals. Get the calf. We're going to have party. They have a party. It's turning up. The party's on. Tyrone's in his element because he's always left a good party, and this one's about him. So he's at the party, and good old Michael, is doing what good old Michael has always been doing. He's out in the fields. He's working. He's doing what he was supposed to do, and he hears some noise. That's what the party sounded like, I imagine. He hears the noise, and he says, it's the middle of the day. Who's partying? So he calls out to one of the servants. What is this noise that I hear? And the servant says, we're having a party. You didn't hear? Your your brother's home. He's finally home. Come on, come in. So Michael is provoked. Michael's living. And let's cut good old Michael some sec because Michael has always done what he was supposed to do. Okay? He never left. (laughs) And this is why I chose him he never left okay he always got good grades he never went with loose women he didn't ask for his inheritance early he didn't curse his father to his face he did what he was asked to do where is michael's party so he's mad he says, i'm not going to that party i'm not doing it so here comes dad dad is so good he says oh it's not one son it's the other so he comes out he comes out to the son and he says son what's happening And he's like dad I've been living away for you for years. I have never disobeyed any one of your orders. And you have the nerve. This Yahoo comes back from living a wild life and you give him a party, where's my party? And he's mad. So dad says, son, we have to celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Thank you, gentlemen. Give me a step down. Can you give him a hand? So here's the thing. When I first started studying the story, and I think a lot of times we, we can make this mistake about Scripture, we're always looking for us in the story, and it's easy for us to say, well, why don't I maybe you relate more to the younger son. You've been wild. You've done the wild thing. Or maybe you relate more to the oldest son. You've been responsible. You, you go to church. You read your Bible. You do the good Christian thing. You do what's right. But can I tell you the story is not about you? And that's the mistake that we make a lot of times, not only in reading scripture, but also in our lives. We start to think that life is all about us. So when we have conflicts, and when we have difficulties, and when we have struggles that come our way, we're so centered on the fact that it's about us that we start to say, God's not good because I'm not good. But when we realize that life is all about God and bringing Him glory and praising His name, we realize that God is good no matter what. So I want to go back to this passage of scripture, and we're going to look at the following and the mercy that he demonstrated in the story the first thing that I noticed about the father's mercy is he answered the son's request realize guys that he was not floored by this request when when the son the youngest son with Tyrone came and asked him for his money early and said he wanted to go that would not have been a new new, a surprise to him. That would not have been a revelation. This was a son who had been doing some things. You don't just graduate from being good to, to prostitutes, okay? You don't just do that. There is a gradual climbing, if you will, to that sort of level. So this is a son who's had some problems for a while, and he would not have been surprised by this request, and he grants it. He loves him enough that he grants it. Again, I told you before I don't have any kids, but if I worked my whole life and I put money away in a college fund or a savings fund and my youngest had the nerve to come up and ask me for their money early and tell me that I'm dead to them, well, you're dead to me too. And that money's going around. I'm going to go get a new purse with that money since you want to act up. That would be my mentality. I don't know who you think you're talking to. That would be my first response. There would be no granting of that request. You're not getting this money. This is my money. What do you think? He said, I want what belongs to me. Nothing. Go ahead and take off your clothes, because I bought those, too. Don't get it twisted. That would be what I would have said. I'm, I'm preparing for when I have kids one day, guys. These are the speeches that I got. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just ready to just say it to my kids, you know? I, like, like, you don't get grown until you get up out of my house. I'm just ready. I'm ready to say it. So, but that's what I ha- would have said to the son. But, but the father loved the son enough and had mercy enough to grant his request. He knew he'd come, coming. He'd come running back. He knew he would spend it on prostitutes and drinking and all other manner of debauchery. He knew that. He knew that. But he loved him enough that he granted his request. What does that tell us about God? He gives us the choice whether or not we want to love him. He lets us choose whether or not we want to serve him. And more than that, this is the baffling thing to me. Even those of us who choose not to he still shows us mercy. The Bible says that the glory of the Lord is over all the earth, that every single person on the face of the earth experiences his grace, whether they choose him or not. So we look at the mercy of God, that even if we don't choose him, there's still provision. He still feeds people who want nothing to do with him. How beautiful is his mercy. The second thing that I noticed from the father as we observe him is that when the son came back, he never said, I told you so. I would not have been able to wait to say it. I mean, I just wouldn't have been able to wait. That would have been the first thing Adam. of my mouth. Uh-huh. So you thought you were grown, huh? How was the real world for you? I, I, oh, I wouldn't have been able to wait to say it. Because imagine, I guarantee you, the sun was not looking good. He went out looking good, but he didn't come back looking good. He looked a mess, and he smelled like what he'd been in, the mud with the pigs. I'm still stuck on that. I'll never understand why you would want to play in mud. I'm just not still there. I'm, let's come full circle. He never said, I told you so. He never looked at him and said, I knew it. You're a failure. You're a disappointment. I, you you just keep doing the same things over and over again. He never did that. He just welcomed him back. And I go so far as I venture to wager that this is not the first time that the son has le- had left the house. So he would have been well within his right to say, All right. So how long is it going to be before you leave again? Should I start planning? He didn't say that to him. He just welcomed him back. He embraced him like he'd never left. God's mercy endures. It endures forever. That that type of endurance, I don't understand. I love to be able to say that I've never been the kind of person to say I told you so when someone messed up. But that is just not true. It's not especially if someone's done the same thing over and over and over again and I just don't understand why we can't make better choices God's mercy endures forever it endures and he continues to pour it out he doesn't say I told you so the first thing that I notice about the father the mercy that the father shows is that he never stopped believing the best of the son Even when the exact opposite happened, how do we know that? Because the Bible says that he saw him while he was a long way off. He was watching for him, which means that he had to have belief that he was going to return. If I had a child who left and left and left and left, I'm not looking for you anymore. You can't go and you can stay gone. You really can Probably, first I'd be mad, but then more than that, I don't think my heart could take hoping that maybe this would be the time that it would finally get through to you, that we love you, and you'll stay home. I wouldn't look for him anymore, her anymore. But the Bible says that love is always ready to believe the best of every person, that its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, that it never stops, that it never ceases, that it never weakens. The favor of the love that the father had for his son never weakened, and he was ready to believe the best. And just imagine the naysayers. He's telling the servants every day, oh, I know my son's going to come home. He's going he's to come home, and he's going to stay home this time. And everyone's going, yeah, that's what you said 42 times ago. He never stopped believing the best. And not just kind of saying it, he really believed it. And so he watched and he looked and he saw him while he was still a long way out off. Day in and day out, he's looking. The first thing that I noticed is that he was thrilled with even the hint of repentance while he was a long way off here's the deal the son still had time to change his mind he could have walked away he was not close he saw him while he was a long way off the father didn't wait for him to come to get to the door to fall on his knees and grovel y'all i would have wanted some groveling i would have wanted some just to go ahead go ahead Seth. i'm amazing i'm a good mom I've done everything for you. You're nothing without me. Come on, give it to me. I, I mean, some real good quality groveling. He would have come to the door. He would have knelt, and there's no best robe. You need to go take a shower because you got dirt all over you. You don't smell too fresh. There's no best robe. There's no ring. That's my ring. There's no sandals. None of that. I would have wanted some groveling. But the, the father doesn't wait for him to go get it all together and then go get all cleaned up before he dresses him up. He doesn't wait until he starts a new life to, put, to restore him fully as if he never left. He doesn't wait until the poverty and the the mess and the stench that he was covered with is gone before he clothes him in robes like he's royalty and he puts a ring on his finger like a person of great wealth. He doesn't wait for him to get it all together before he runs out to him. You know what that sounds a lot like? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did not wait for you to come back and say, God, I've messed up. He didn't wait for you to come back and grovel and and, and list out every one of your sins. He went to the cross and died a brutal, public, humiliating death while we were not even thinking about him. While we were content to play in the mud with all the other sinners, he did not wait for us to get out of the mud and decide, well, maybe I want to take a shower today. He went while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So we see that in the mercy of the Father. And the last thing that I see, that we see, there are many more things, but we don't have time, is that he lavished his love on him and he restored him as if he never left. He put the best robe on him, the best one. He put his ring on him, which signified that he belonged to his family. He put sandals on his feet. He didn't have sandals on his feet. He didn't have shoes he slaughtered the fattened calf which is the best one in that tradition the very best one the one that they will be saving for wedding feasts or something of great importance and they slaughtered that in a readiness with a quickness because the son came home he lavished his love on him nothing held back nothing kept back from this son lavished it freely god does the same thing to you and to me the Bible says he's rich in mercy. He is rich in love. And he lavishes it. It is not in spices, but little bits and pieces that he gives it. He doesn't dangle it over us and say, I'm going to love you, but you got it. Huh, that safe on commercial, I got you a dollar. And you have to jump and you have to reach. God doesn't make you jump and try to reach for his love. He pours it out. He lavishes his love all over this earth. How beautiful is his mercy. Yet we have the nerve to think that because times are not good, that our God is not good, that because we're suffering, our God is not good. That is not so. Surely only goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life all the days of my life only his goodness is following me only his mercy is following me here's the deal we're talking about no man no thing will be able to withstand you all this all the days of your life that does not mean that you will not have problems that's not the promise that is not that means that when you have problems when something comes against you that it will have to flee from you Deuteronomy says it this way your enemies will come out against you one way And run out seven ways that's what that promise means so when we when we start to think that oh because I struggled because he died because I'm hurting because I don't have what I've been praying for for so long God's not good no 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 what that means is God's giving you an opportunity to experience his victory because he's already said if God is for you who can be against you if God is for you what can stand against you When we go through difficulties, when we struggle, when we fall, that does not mean that God is not good. That means that God is giving us an opportunity to experience his goodness in a weight of glory we cannot even imagine. Get ready. Get ready. If you've got a problem in the house, if there's a physical ailment in the house, God wants to pour out his mercy. He wants to show you his glory. He wants to come through in that situation. That child you've been praying for to come home, that that person that you've, you've been praying for to get saved, that financial issue that just never seems to be solved, I'm excited. I'm excited to hear the testimonies of what God is doing in your life. I already know that he wants to. So I want to real quickly just cover three areas where we may be needing mercy. There are many more areas. I want to say that. But again, for time's sake, these are the three that I want to cover. And the worship team's going ahead, and they're coming back up here as I speak, as I close out. There are three times in our lives where we really, really need God's mercy. Number one is when we've messed up. When we ourselves have messed up, when we've sinned, a lot of times we don't know what to do with sin in the church because historically the church has been very ready to throw rocks at people who sin. sinned. We're ready to call out sin. We're ready to call out every aspect of sin that we see. We're ready to judge it. We're ready to say, oh, you see her lifting her hands? I know what she was doing last night. We're, that's what the church has historically done. And so a lot of times we don't know what to do with sin, whether in our own lives or in the lives of people that we meet. Because we want to be careful not to condone it, but at the same time we we want to show mercy. Can I tell you? Let me give you a perfect example. There's a story in the Bible of a woman who was caught in adultery. I'm going to make it brief. The judgment for that was that she needed to be stoned. That was the righteous judgment. And so a bunch of people bring her before Jesus, and she's naked. They caught her in the actual act of adultery, so just the shame. She's naked. They're ready to throw rocks at her. They're ready to call it out. Jesus, the law says that this woman deserves to be stoned. What do you say? The story goes, long story short, that one by one, eventually Jesus looks at them and he says, he who is is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw the stone at her. So one by one, being convicted of their hearts, from the oldest to the youngest, they leave. And she stands there waiting, because she just knows that Jesus is going to judge her. She just knows that Jesus is going to reject her. And he looks up and he says, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's how we deal with sin. We don't condemn. Jesus does not condemn you. God does not condemn you. If you've messed up or you've been stuck in a pattern of sin or there's a secret addiction that nobody else knows about, that you just know that they would be shocked if they knew what you were struggling with, God knows and he sees and he's not here to throw rocks at you. He's here to pick you up put a robe on you, and he'll wash you. He'll do the washing. He just wants you to come home. Another area where we need the mercy of God is when we've been going through difficulties, when we ourselves are suffering in some capacity, whether it's an ailment in our bodies, a problem that we're going through in a relationship, there's persecution. We need God's mercy in our suffering. The Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those that will have a crushed spirit. A third time that we may need the mercy of God is whenever we've been wronged. This one's huge, guys, because sometimes we've been wronged by the very people who sit next to us in church. The very people who claim to love Jesus and who claim to be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost have grievously hurt us. And we don't know what to do with that. So what do we do? We switch churches. We leave. We never talk to them again. We talk about them behind their backs. We clam up. And we say we're done with church i'm not going back to that place they're all a bunch of hypocrites every single person under the sound of my voice is a person that jesus loves and has died for that is working out their own salvation with fear and trembling and we are going to hurt each other i'd love to say opposite i'd love 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 to say i will never do anything to hurt you but At some point or another we are all going to be given opportunity to be offended with one another and Jesus has given us one command that covers it all love one another for love covers a multitude of sins so and we're gonna have a little bit of time of worship and if you are in need of the mercy of God in any capacity I just invite you to make these altars your prayer place y'all go ahead and come up but I we are also going to be sensitive